The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Coast to coast instrumentals. What's up, PTB Nation? What's up, Silasau Nation? How is everybody doing tonight? Happy New Year. Happy 2021 or 2021 to everybody listening wherever you are listening around the world. And thank you for catching this episode of Portugal at the Euro, A Complete History. It's episode four, and we're talking about the historic um, electric semifinal that was the 1984 uh, semifinal number one between the host France and our Celestial Portugal 1984. I have had an absolute blast the last three four weeks, literally living vicariously in 1984. Yeah, not just watching these matches. I watched this tournament from start to finish, uh, also to gain context and. Um, I was watching 80s TV shows. I got into watching 80s TV shows on the different streaming packages. Started really watching Family Ties, a show from the 1980s here in the United States. Uh, I've I've watched most of the series over the course of the last two months. Really, really living in the 1980s. I've been listening to 80s music. It has been a wild ride. And tonight we cap it off. Uh, we are in the semifinals. Like I said, it's Portugal and France at the Stade Velodrome in Marseille. And it's it's a game for the ages. It's one that people that saw it still talk about to this day. Um, our friend Fernando Shalana shows up in this one. You know, we last time we saw him, he was getting carted off on a gurney 
but he makes a miraculous return. And you know what? He has himself an, uh, a Shalana-like uh, performance in this match against France. But at the other end, oh, our, do we see a star. Listen, this this man could have turned in to an absolutely slimy individual. He could have, you know, he got involved in FIFA and he got involved in UEFA and he got involved in what's essentially sport politics and, you know, he he absolutely disgraced his his good legacy since this turn since 1998 really um, when he's taken active roles in FIFA and in UEFA as I said um, and you know he was expelled from FIFA and UEFA I think he I don't know if he was arrested or not but but before all of that Michel Platini was one hell of a footballer and you and in this match we see the absolute pinnacle. Of his career, I think this is the peak form of Michel Platini in his career here in 1984 on home soil, leading his country. This is, I think, this match was really, really a treat to watch. I'm going to watch it again. I had seen, I've seen it, you know, a few times. This is one of the matches I had seen before, and uh, I actually caught it a couple weeks ago when I was working on one of the other episodes. Uh, I think I was working on the Spain episode, and it happened to come on this this match we're talking about today. Happened to come on Canalones in Portugal, and I couldn't help but to watch the rest of it. Um, historic, historic. Uh, match for Portugal and I'm going to be honest and you've heard in the f- previous three episodes of this series that um, I'm a little underwhelmed by Portugal in this competition a team that's clearly well organized and well disciplined defensively um, has given up few goals only one goal in the group stages but also has shown not very good at the other end Not despite having a European golden boot winner in Fernando Gomes and having you know Another prolific goal scorer in Nene and in Rui Jordão and players of, of that caliber in the team, they score very few goals. And I think that ultimately may have been their undoing. Um, but in this match, they really rose to the occasion. So for as underwhelmed as I was in the previous three matches, especially in the last match, I think against Romania, they really looked... Uh, below par like compared to the first two matches of the group stage. But they really came out. They did put their best performance out in this f- what turned out to be their final match, this semifinal against France. But it was um, it was a joy to watch. I really enjoyed watching uh, Portugal, you know, absorb and absorb and absorb pressure while countering when they had the chance and just fighting and clawing and playing for the jersey. You know, they, they put aside club loyalties in this tournament. At least by this point on the pitch, the club loyalties were, were pushed aside. Behind the scenes or on the bench could have been a different story. I've already gone into detail on the coaching situation um, as it stood at this time. But I think you'll enjoy this match. Um, if you if you do want to watch it, I do recommend clicking on the link in the show notes. It'll take you right to the match on Footballia. And... This match is actually a special treat because the commentary is in English and it's quite comical at times. And I'm sure I'll point out some of the the kinks in the commentary for this match. Um, But again, I, I do recommend actually sitting down and watching this match to everyone. And so we're going to take a little break right now. But when I take you into the break, I'm going to play, like I like to, an old 80s song for everybody. All right, this is a Portuguese 
classic. It's not actually from 84. It's from 1981. But it is an 80s classic. And I cannot leave the 1980s at the end of this episode without playing this song. So on the other side of the break, it is Dos with Amanhã, a chart-topping all-time hit in Portugal. Like I said, released in 1981, not 1984. But it is a... It is just a classic, and I've said it before when I've played it for other programs. I remember very well, <laughs> I remember this this record on vinyl that my parents had. I remember playing this song as a little kid. So here is uh, your treat from nine, from the 1980s. It's a dos with Amanhã de Manhã. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the PTB media network your english language home of copa libertadores Vem deitar-te a meu lado 
Welcome back to Portugal at the Euro, the complete history. I'm your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinho, and we are set in park. The vehicle is in park. Time machine parked on Saturday, June the 23rd, 1984. We are in the French Mediterranean coastal city of Marseille at the historic Stade Vélodrome. This is our second uh, our second match in this stadium, and like we said, it gets that name from its its history as a stadium that held that held indoor cycling or velodrome cycling, speed cycling, uh, pursuit things like that. Um, any kind of track cycling, it it had a velodrome, and that's how it got the name Stade Vélodrome. So. It is the group winner of Group 1, France, taking on Group 2's runner-up, which was Portugal. And we have some, some interesting changes in the lineup. But first, let's go to the 11 for France on the day. All right, France would play in a 4-4-2 diamond, a very, very uh, demolishing diamond, if I must say. They call it the Magic Square. It was... And I'll get to, I'll actually get to them in a moment, but let's start with the goalkeeper. In goal was Joel Batz. The four across the back, Patrick Batiston, Yvonne Leroux, Maxime Bossis, and Jean-Francois Demerc. The four men in midfield, as we call them, the, the magic square, Alain Giresse, uh, Jean Tigana, Luis Fernandez, and of course, Michel Platini. Playing in front of Michel Platini is Didier Six, and he's playing in support behind the striker Bernard Lacombe. Um, four of the starting eleven are from the French champion Bordeaux, and Bordeaux, of course, are managed by Michel Hidalgo. And now for Portugal, as you know, they're managed by four people by committee. We're not going to get into that, but they're also playing in a, well, they're listed as playing in a 4-4-2. The commentator points out pretty quickly that it looks a lot more like a 4-5-1, but they do make some changes. So in goal stays the captain, Manuel Bento, four across the back, the same as always. João Pinto on the right, Lima Pereira, and Uriku in the center with Alvaro Magalhães on the left. In midfield, you had Frasco on the right, Sosa playing in central, alongside Jaime Pacheco, who returns to the starting 11. And to the left is Fernando Shalana. There's a notable name I did not mention in that in that. Um, in that midfield, we'll talk about that in just a moment. And there are two forwards. And ironically, Fernando Gomes is not one of them. It is Jordão and it is Diamantino. Unbelievable, Fernando Gomes, a European golden boot winner. And not, it's so hard, just so hardly used in this tournament by this ridiculous management arrangement of a four-headed coaching monster. Um... Noticeable by his absence, of course, is a guy who, in the first match, I remember calling him the man of the match. And he is one of the, the key guys in Portugal's midfield. But it is Carlos Manuel who is left off the 11 inexplicably. Um, and uh, 
you know, the the management or the coaching staff would have to answer for this after the match. As the video, if you press play on the video, it starts off in the tunnel. And we get to see the three teams coming out led to the pitch by what's either a UEFA official or some stadium uh, security official or someone. Somebody in a suit leading out the referees and behind the referees, the two squads. The stadium is a cauldron of noise and color. The Blue Blanc Rouge of France and the Verde Vermelho of Portugal uh, fill the stands. However, a lot more France fans than Portuguese, obviously. Um and actually, it was very hard to hear any any Portuguese support in the stands in this match. Um, I'm sure there was a crowd there, it being France, and it, and just the enormous amounts of Portuguese, uh, dis, you know, people of Portuguese descent and Portuguese heritage um, live there in France. Just the sheer numbers, you would think that there would be. More than more than an ample amount of Portuguese in the stand that day to make some noise, but you hear you hear a lot more from the French fans. That's for sure. The English language commentator I wrote this down is unaware he's live and he's asking his producer uh, a funny question. He goes, <laughs> "Goes are the Can- are the Canadians on yet?" <laughs> he keeps asking about the Canadians, and then he's saying, "Well, the teams are already out." Let's get the Canadians online <laughs> as it's, it's a, some sort of a world feed televised because this match was not televised in the UK. So this tele, this um, television broadcast had to have been a world feed and going out to perhaps other places in the English-speaking world. Obviously Canada, as he was waiting for Canada to, to connect or something along those lines to get started. And once again, Portugal come out. And they are playing in their their change strip of all white, and France are in their familiar, famous tricolor blue, blanc, rouge, and you got a military band in the center of the pitch, as the players uh, arrive, and almost immediately, the band starts playing a portuguesa, the Portuguese national anthem, which I noted almost none of the players sung. And you can't hear much from the stand either, so I don't think the supporters were singing either. Portugal clearly a rookie at at uh, major football tournaments, aren't they? In the international stage, as their their supporters don't cheer any, don't chant anything, don't sing along the anthem. Portugal's players don't sing the anthem. Um, when a Portuguesa concludes, the band goes right into Le Marseillaise, the French national anthem, and Although the French players, I noted, also mostly don't sing, the crowd certainly does, as you hear the sound of 55,000 singing Le Marche Lance. And the velodrome is ready to go. The commentator notes that Shalana is back, deemed fit despite the injuries suffered versus Romania. Again, the last time we talked about him, he was being carted off the pitch on a gurney. And... The now the commentator also notes Carlos Manuel surprisingly left out. The sun is brightly shining in southern France, and one thing that has stuck out to me watching all of these matches from start to finish is just how much sunshine there was on the pitch. I went back and looked over these start times. A lot of these were 8 p.m. starts in France, Central European time, and um. 
you the sun stays out for the majority of the match even in this one we're going to see the sun for a long time did a little research and it looks like at this time in Europe Europe was playing around with different time zoning and different types of daylight savings um ideas and it was not uncommon to have really long days in in Europe at this time and it was it was fairly common to see sunsets of around 10 p.m. when they were playing around with, you know, the time zones and the daylight savings and all that. At that time, a lot of experimental things went into effect. And like I and I know I remember going to Portugal much later than this because I was old enough to remember it. And I do remember the sun setting after 10 p.m. And it was a summer where they came up with an entire European standard time versus the, the separate time zones. It was something along those lines. So Portugal had... A lot more daylight, although the sun would come up at almost 8 o'clock in the morning or something like that. 7 o'clock in the morning, very late sunrise. But, yeah, Europe was doing some funky stuff back then. And uh, it was interesting watching this and so many other matches and just how much sunshine you have on the pitch in what, you know, we in today today's world we, we feel is nighttime. 8 o'clock p.m. is nighttime, even in the summer here in North America. But... Back in in this time, the the sun did stay out a lot later due to the different um, time zone options. But um, the referee in the middle is the Italian Paolo Bergamo, and both France and Portugal are trying to get to their first ever final. And France kicks. We get we kick off. With France, and it takes only two minutes for the first foul of the match to be called on Portugal. It's Frasco cutting down Fernandez. Fernandez, while he's on the ground, though, reaches out his leg and in turn trips up Frasco, who goes down theatrically. Frasco goes down absolutely theatrically. It was a brilliant flop, if you will, onto the ground. And Bergamo, referee Bergamo, comes over and quite. Brutally, he and ridiculously um, reprimands. He reprimands Frasco, telling him to get up. He's berating the player um, for even trying to to go down and get some kind of call off of that. Michel Platini comes into the match as the competition's leading goal scorer. He's got seven goals through three matches at this point. And um, he has, of course, the famous natural hat trick in the group stage. A match, I guess we now call it the Platini hat trick, where he scores with his right, with his left, and on a header. The crowd erupts every time the French um, enter the attacking half. And they voice their disapproval loudly in the fifth minute when Uriku turns around and plays the ball about 30 yards back to Bentu. In the seventh minute, it's Frasco uh, losing the ball in in his own midfield, and it is Platini who 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 dispossesses him, and he finds Fernandez, Luis Fernandez, who is again cut down this time by a hard back checking Rui Jordão. And Luis Fernandez is taking a lot of punishment from Portugal in the first 10 minutes. 10 minutes in, and it's all France as expected at the start. Portugal is accustomed, however, in this tournament and quite comfortable to allow France to possess. And Portugal quite fine lying deep in low blocks. Again, uh, 
though still in the 10th minute, and it's Portugal carelessly giving the ball away again um, on the edge of their attacking third. And this is starting to look just like it did against Romania. Michel Platini is no stranger to the Portuguese, that is. Um, just a month or so earlier than this match, um, earlier in the month of June, I believe, um, Portuguese television viewers will remember him from having seen him in the Cup Winners' Cup final, leading Juventus past Portuguese uh, side Football Clube do Porto in that Cup Winners' Cup final. Platini did not score, but he was a he was a uh, a factor in the match, and anyone that watched it will remember Platini. In the 14th, you got some nice, sharp, quick passing by Le Bleu. Uh, eventually, Jerez finds himself in the attacking third with the with the ball and the chance to look. He picks his head up. Tries to lob one over the top to Platini. Platini collides with Lima Pereira and goes down. Shouts for a penalty. But the Italian referee once again not having any of it. This time he tells the French to get up and play on. And in the 17th, Portugal finally with a counterattack. And it's Souza with the diagonal all the way to the touchline for Shalana, who flies down the right with it, and then he cuts in, beats a defender, Frasco overlaps him, Shalana feeds him towards the end line, Frasco will then, he will then attempt to cross, but right at bats, and the counterattack is cut out, and danger averted in Portugal's first attempt at goal in the 17th minute. In the 18th, it's Souza with an effort from distance, but it's far wide and high to the goalkeepers right through 20 minutes Portugal well organized defensively absorbing pressure and getting in a counter or two in those 20 minutes mostly towards the end of that that 20 minute portion there and Portugal starting to look more comfortable in the 22nd it's Lacombe with a cross from the right Platini heads it across goal but it is then cleared by Yuriku 23rd, it's Jerese picking out Platini with a vertical pass from a few meters from the box. And it is Jean Pachic coming through recklessly. And Jean Pachic completely trucks him and takes him down. And it is an ugly challenge, but it is outside the box. And on the ensuing free kick, everyone's eyes are on Michel Platini. But, we, but Portugal, the television audience... And the commentator get a surprise, as it is Demerg who hits the, who hits it. And here's a listen as to uh, how John Motson called it on BBC later that night in his video in his in his highlight recap. Here's John Motson with this call from Euro '84. And the scorer, Jean-Francois Demers, 27 years old today. What a way to celebrate your birthday. So Jean-Francois Demers, when the whole world was looking at Michel Platini, 
It is Demerg who takes the kick and buries it in the far corner, out of the reach of Bentu. No chance for the goalkeeper. And France take the lead in the 23rd minute. The stadium absolutely erupts. It absolutely explodes with noise as the French are very, very confident now in the 27th minute. Lima Preda goes into the referee's book for a needless uh, yellow card as he picks up uh, a challenge that he didn't need. It was a reckless challenge. Needlessly, the player was of no danger, and he gets a deserved but not intelligent yellow card. And we're informed that should Portugal advance Lima Pereira would now miss the final as it was his second yellow card of the competition, his second caution. Amazing how the rules have changed over the years that in those days you your second booking in an entire tournament would disqualify you for a match. And, you know, today they get three and it even resets at the semifinal because, you know, the television audience and FIFA and the sponsors are getting tired of seeing major Stars missing finals due to yellow card accumulations in these tournaments. Not to mention the way yellow cards have been issued. It has changed dramatically in 30, what are we at, 36 years now, 37 years since this match was played. And obviously that was a rule that would have needed to change the way that yellow cards are now issued much, much more frequently. 31st minute, and it is Shilano with some nice dribbling, getting into the edge of the attacking third, finds Souza in the left center channel, and he sw- and Souza then switches it to Frasco, who crosses for Jordão, but the Sporting striker can't reach it. It's just a hair too high, and Portugal miss an opportunity to perhaps go level. 34th minute, a deep dropping Jourdain eventually wins the ball and he tries to he tries to combine with Frasco, but Frasco again loses the ball in his, you know, in a dangerous area. A lot of of errors uh, uh, once again by Portugal, a lot of unforced errors by Portugal and all of Jourdain's hard work there, all of Rui Jourdain's backtracking and hard work to win that ball goes to waste. 35th minute, Jourdain again. This time, he tries his luck from distance, but drives it over the goal. 37th minute, and it's Shilana. He wins the ball from Six. He tries to be a little too cute with it, and his square pass is intercepted by Tigana. Tigana is... Tigana is looking at goal, but Shalana recovers, wins the ball back, and makes amends for his error in sparing Portugal from surrendering a shot and potentially a second goal. 38th minute, and again, Jordão drops deep into midfield to assist, and he receives the ball, and then he starts the counterattack, beats a few French players through the middle of the park, and then he plays a beautiful ball into space. For Diamantino, but Diamantino gets a step on Botsis, but then slips, and the French are off the hook as Diamantino slips just before being able to get a shot on goal. 41st, and it's Jerese again, and with more brilliant play, he finds a six down the left. Six, instead of a cross, plays it about 20 meters backwards to Fernandez, who then Draws Portugal out and delivers a precision pass back to six. 
in the area, and he puts the ball in the goal, but as the stadium erupts once again, the linesman's flag goes up for offside, and Portugal, by a matter of centimeters, hanging on to this deficit of 1-0 and hanging on to not be down by more by by centimeters, really. That's twice. And then we're in the 44th again. It is Jadese again. This time the right center crosses looking for Lacombe. And that is cut out by Lima Pereira and cleared then by João Pinto. 45th plus one. Ex- the stoppage time here in the first half. Jordão down looks to have had the wind knocked out of him by LaRue. Uh, the referee orders him and the medical staff to the sidelines so he can resume the match in the dying seconds here before halftime. And literally as soon as the ball is put into play, uh, referee Bergamo will blow his whistle for halftime. So at halftime, we have France 1, Portugal nil, And I have a few thoughts looking back at the first half. And um, France at times showed exactly why pundits um, then and now were comparing them or some of them comparing them uh, to Brazil 82 and, and saying that they were perhaps the answer, the, the European answer to the 82 Brazil squad. A very, very attractive brand of football, no doubt played by the French. While the eyes... While all eyes were on Platini, he was mostly quiet in the first half aside from drawing the foul that led to Demurg's goal from the set piece. Jerez, for me, in my opinion, was the best player on the pitch in the first 45. And while Portugal put together a solid um, defensive performance, um, not allowing any real opportunities from open play despite the numerous losses of possession. So I thought they were doing well in recovery. Again, the mistakes have to be cut out, though. Uh, they gave away possession many, many times in front of their back four, right in front of them. But to to this point, to halftime, really no no dangerous opportunities from open play. Portugal surprisingly didn't look for Shalana and Jordão enough, in my opinion, in this first 30 minutes. And um, they've really been Portugal's only playmakers. Frasco is playing a bit reckless, and he is not taking care of the ball. I did note that. And there is, no matter how you slice it, I wrote here that... (laughs) Uh, France lead 1-0 off a set piece at the break. Portugal will need to find a equalizer and will start the second half as we see the two teams exit the tunnel back onto the pitch and we hear the announcer r- recognizing Nene is coming out onto the tunnel. It's funny, we see Nene in, come out of the tunnel, but Nene doesn't actually take the pitch Um he thinks he may have, and he's working out who you can hear how he's thinking. And back then, they didn't have the technology commentators have today. Of course, when substitutions are put in or substitute cards are put in, it's it's on a, a commentator's screen almost immediately, and he's being informed in his in his earpiece. If not here, you can see or you can hear the commentator talking to his producer. And he's saying that he sees Nene, but um, he's in that he's replaced Diamantino. So he believes Nene has replaced Diamantino. 
but it turns out not to be Nene. And when the match starts and when the placards go up, it is Fernando Gomes of Football Club do Porto, the European Golden Boot winner, coming on for Diamantino Miranda. And Portugal go with an out-and-out striker for the first time as they know they need an equalizer. 46th, though, and France France turns it on early in the second half here. It's Platini with some magic in midfield. He beats Souza and Jean Pacheco, plays Fernandes in alone, 1v1 with Bento, and the Benfica keeper comes out with a huge save with his hands in front of his head, protecting himself, and with the huge save, the rebound, though, falls right to Fernandez, but he misses the open goal with his second effort, and it was very nearly 2-0 once again. Portugal, again, like I said, hanging on, staying alive and waiting for their opportunity. 49th minute, Jeresse once again, this time it's from distance, he has a hit at goal, forcing an athletic and acrobatic save from the 36-year-old Manuel Bento. Through the first five minutes of the second half, Portugal seemed to have left their game in the changing room, and France, on the other hand, come out of come out of the blocks on the front foot, and they are taking to Portugal in the first five minutes of the second half. In the 53rd, Giresse finds Platini streaking through the left, through the left center channel, running at the Portuguese back line, carrying from center to left, and just left of center, he's drawing a defender over. Opening a lane straight up the the gut to which Genese runs into Platini plays him the ball into that space, and again Bentu makes a heroic save this time with his right arm, I'm sorry his right leg on a Jerez point blank shot, and the ball goes out for a corner. But once again it is Bentu keeping it one nil. One minute later, 54th, it's Demurg again with the diagonal cross, this time from the left. He finds Giresse on the far far end of the penalty area. Looking at goal, he first time volleys it out of the air from the corner of, from just, or just high, slightly higher than the corner of the six-yard box. He volleys it, and despite his perfect contact with the ball, he does hook it. Just wide to the goalkeeper's right. It is all France after 15 minutes in the second half. On top of the hour, 60th minute, and it is Jeresse finding Platini. And the UA star is starting to come alive as he dances back and forth down the pitch. And he's cutting back and forth in the ball, and he creates... The half yard of space he needs and fires a shot at the top corner. This thing is going in, but once more, the ageless Manuel Bento, fully stretched, gets a paw to it and is able to parry it over the bar for another corner kick. It was a phenomenal save from Manuel Bento once again. In the 61st minute, Frasco nailing Platini. And, and Platini then picks up the ball furious with, with the referee and with the Portuguese midfielder, starts talking. The referee blows his whistle. France starts setting up for a direct free kick, and the referee points the other way and actually calls Platini for handling the ball and not Frasco for the reckless <laughs> for the reckless foul that he committed. 
63rd minute now, and it's Portugal making their final sub of the match. That's right. You only get two subs in 1984. They made one and a half. Here's their final sub. 63rd minute. It is Nene now coming on for Souza. Three attackers on now for Portugal. Very, very different from how we've seen them play, how we're getting used to seeing them play. And Portugal has to go for it now. It's all or nothing as there is under a half hour to go. And they need to find the equalizer. 65th minute as the sun finally starts to set in Marseille. Uh, Portugal start getting something going and they start to make the most of some of these highlight reel saves from Bantu. So they start to move forward and start to generate some uh, opportunities for themselves. They're starting to feel a little bit of confidence and a little bit of comfort. And I think at this point, the hour mark, they're realizing, hey, we can we can win this game. We can beat these guys. And, you know, anyone who's played and been in a matchup where, you know, you're expecting or maybe you're not expecting, but the other team is expected to be so dominant against you and you're playing such a uh, a heavy opponent, such a heavily favored opponent. And a lot of times you're, you're wondering and you're doubting in your mind if you can even keep with them or if they're going to come into the match and just blow you out of the water and then all of a sudden you're in the 60th minute and you're in a fight with this giant and you realize, hey, we can do this. This might be our night. I think Portugal is at that point here, um, slightly after the hour mark in this semifinal. And in the 66th, uh, Michel Hidalgo decides to go to his bench. And on comes Ferreri in place of Lacombe. As Ferreri was carrying a, a knock from the group stage. So he did not start. As a result, now plotted in in the 66th minute. Uh, Hidalgo knows that the match could go for another 60 if if um, Portugal get an equalizer and thus did not want to subject his, his player, Fer Ferreri, to a potential 120 minutes of football, controlling his minutes a little bit more by subbing him in at this point. 68th minute, and Jerese combines with Platini and Ferreri. And the ball falls to Platini, who fires from just side, outside the area. Bentu dives to his right and makes yet another save. 70th minute, and it's Frasco trying one. Um, he's trying to knock one over the top onto the run of Nene, but a foul is called on Nene. No one's really sure what's going on here. They're all looking kind of confused. But the referee, Paulo uh, Bergamo, calls a foul. Two minutes later, the 72nd, and it is Shalana with a long run down the left. He beats three France players and then crosses for Jourdain. But his cross, again, just a hair too high. Jourdain was right there and so close to equalizing for Portugal. 73rd minute, and it was Fernando Gomes' turn. He has his effort saved off of the goal line by Bats, that was on the ensuing corner. And suddenly Portugal have found some belief in themselves, like I said. And suddenly Portugal feel like they can do this. And we move ahead. It is now the 74th minute. And it is Nene with a long switch to Shalana on the left. He whips a left-footed cross right onto the forehead of an unmarked Rui Jourdain. And this time, ladies and gentlemen, have a listen. He, here's what it sounded like. This is Shalana. 
Barcelona. Jordao's there. It's there. Jordao for Portugal. They equalise with 16 minutes to go. Rui Jordão from Fernando Chalana, completely unmarked, gets up, jumps high, and strongly heads the ball into the far post, beating Bats. It's one to one. Portugal are beside themselves. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what the millions and millions of Portuguese people back home in Portugal were doing watching this on television as as Portugal drew level 16 minutes from time. Rui Jordão, the Sporting striker, he gets on the end of, of the cross, like we said, and he heads it to the far post. It's all level in Marseille, and France cannot believe after the dominant performance that they have put on for the first for the first 75 minutes that suddenly with a quarter of an hour to go it is all level and suddenly Portugal are have a second wind it is like an oxygen bubble for the players in all white and due to the substitutions that had to be made to get Portugal back into the game they now have quite an imbalanced team uh, for a match that is that is all level at one and I think they realize that they're in they're better off trying to go on the attack and trying to steal a winner and not go to extra time as, like I said, their lineup is completely imbalanced and they have no substitutions remaining. They've got three strikers on the field, plus they have two more attackers. It's, it is a it is structurally a, a big, almost a nightmare now for Portugal, the reality of having pulled level and still having time left on the clock. Um, they do reorganize though, but Portugal, you can see, continues to go for it at this point. And in the 78th minute, it is Nene again whipping in a right-footed cross, and Bossis is there just a split second ahead of Fernando Gomes, as the Porto striker was there to make it two to one. And like we said, Portugal just believing in themselves now and pushing forward. Uh, ensuing counter is Platini with space in behind. However, he he count they counter Portugal's attack, and they get Platini in behind. Um, he goes one on one with Bento, and again the 36 year old goalkeeper wins out once again. Big big night for Manuel Bento, probably his biggest night on the international stage. The rebound though would come to Ferreri and it would be Bentu jumping up again as Ferreri shoots Bentu gets a paw up gets a hand to the ball and deflects it just enough for the ball to redirect into the post and not into the open goal it pops up off of the crossbar actually and then goes out for a corner kick danger averted for the time being 83rd minute though France now switching the pendulum as I think the adrenaline is run out in Portugal after scoring the goal, and now they're searching and gasping for a second wind as Tigana, uh, Tigana dribbles to create space. He has to go. He has a go from distance, I should say, and it is an easy save for Bento, who reminds his teammates to calm down. He does the, the universal <laughs> motion for calming down with his arms. 85th minute Shalana on the left he cuts to his weaker right foot and tries an effort at goal but it's high and wide 87th and it's Platini again he picks 
He picks the pocket of Lima Pereira, runs at goal, and is cut down just shy of the penalty area. He is cut down by Souza, and the referee comes over. It is a free kick to France and a yellow card to Souza. And the French crowd is feeling it now with the placement of the free kick. And this time it will be Platini with his right foot. His decent, uh, his direct kick, though, hits the Portugal wall and de- deflects up and over for a corner. Wall does its job, but one of the guys took it off the top of the head, essentially. 89th minute, and Uriku now shown a yellow card for time-wasting. And this is just foolish because now Uriku picks up his second yellow card caution of the tournament. And should Portugal advance, now he too would miss the final. Can you imagine had Portugal pull this off and they go to a final without either of their starting defenders, both for needless uh, yellow card accumulation. In the 90th, Batistón is called for an obstruction on Shalana, and we get an ensuing free kick. Shalana curls across, but it is dealt with by LaRue. Cleared out, and the referee blows his whistle three times for full time. It is one-to-one. This one is going to require extra time. But Before we do that, we're going to take a break here on the PTB Media Network. Remember, you can follow the PTB Media Network on Twitter at PTB underscore media and on Instagram at PTB underscore media. And um, don't forget to check out check out our we our now five day a week podcast, Parking the Bus, back for season two, different format, different calendar. Check it out. Here's a message from the PTB Media Network uh, about the Parking the Bus podcast. UEFA Euro 2020 this summer. Here on the Park in the Bus podcast. Welcome back to Portugal at the Euro, a complete history. You're listening on the PTB Media Network, and it is time now for extra time here in 1984. And we rejoin the telecast as players are having a little bit of a kickabout as the start of extra time is delayed and not sure why. And then we see it live right in front of everyone's eyes for their viewing pleasure. Lima Preda runs out and picks up the cockerel. Yes, the French cockerel, the rooster, got loose and came onto the pitch. And, of course, uh, Lima Preda being a a good, strong Norteño from northern Portugal... Not the first time he's he's grabbed a rooster, I am sure. Uh, growing up, uh, I'm assuming from a rural part of Portugal, as most most of the players at this time would have. Uh, Lima Preda just literally goes right over to to the rooster, picks it up, and then nonchalantly, without second thought, just throws it. He launches it. He like. It's he, literally he he mimics a medicine ball throw, like from the hip, and that. Cockerel just flies over the fence and perfectly into the arms of the French fans. One of the most absurd, bizarre, pretty damn cool things I saw uh, in Euro 84. One of the coolest things I think I've seen. Can you imagine in twenty Euro 2020 a match, a restart being held up due to 
a cockerel getting loose on the field, or any animal for that matter. Pretty, pretty hilarious. All right, so Portugal kickoff to start off extra time. Finally, after the bird is removed from the pitch, the referee blows his whistle, and Jordão kicks it off, and we are underway. And it's interesting to see how are these teams going to approach this extra time. Um, in 1984, I'm I'm wondering if there was the same notion around playing to try to get to penalties or if there was this belief to try to avoid penalties at all at all costs cuz remember penalties are still a somewhat new concept at this stage of football history they're about they've been around about 10 years i think if my math is correct at this point and um don't know how many players would be comfortable taking penalties so i was interested to see if the two teams were going to come out um, of course, I knew the result and how it was going to work out, but I wanted to see what the approach was going to be from the two teams, if they were going to come out blazing, if they were going to be cautious at first. And in the 92nd minute, it is Shalana again, and having his best match of the tournament, no doubt, and this had to be the performance that landed him on the best 11 selected by UEFA for this comp- for this tournament. Shalana collects the ball on the right flank. He beats his man, cuts in. Uh, delivers the ball to Frasco, who quickly plays to João Pinto down the flank. João Pinto has a first-time cross along the ground for Fernando Gomes, who runs at it, but Larue, um, who runs at Larue, and goes down. So Fernando Gomes gets to the ball. So does Larue at the same time. Fernando Gomes seems to get to the ball first and get taken down. Portuguese players looking for a foul. Referee calls. Ungentleman-like conduct on Fernando Gomes. And yeah, it looked like Fernando Gomes was trying to to win a call where there wasn't one to get it. He didn't get a yellow card, uh, interestingly enough. It's just a free kick going the other way. Not exactly how the rules work, at least these days. But that's that's how referee Paulo Bergamo uh, handled this one on uh, here on June the 23rd, I believe we said, of 1984. 93rd minute, and it's Bento with another save, again denying Platini. And you got to think, Platini's probably starting to get really irritated with this short, balding, old goalkeeper who is just a phenomenal athlete and making phenomenal saves. 95th, Ferrari with the cross, finds Platini again, but this time his header is blocked by Uriku and cleared by Alvaro. 96 minute and now it's Portugal on the attack and it is João Pinto on the right whipping in an out swinging cross right onto the forehead of his teammate Nene who heads it at the goal but it is saved brilliantly by Bats. The ensuing corner goes to Shalana and with the ensuing corner he's looking for Jordan with the back post but the header was won and headed away by Batistion, by Batistan. In the 98th, though, we have we have Jaime Pacheco collecting the ball in his favorite spot on the pitch, right in front of the two central defenders. And I did note this is his favorite spot, and his most comfortable place on the pitch. And he but he picks his head up and he picks out a diagonal ball perfectly onto the run of João Pinto. João Pinto cuts in, dribbles down the right center channel. Shalana overlaps him. And João Pinto squares to the middle to Frasco. Frasco, without even thinking about it, knows exactly what to do. And he runs into open space about 15 meters in front and then receives 
a return pass and flicks it into space onto the run of Shalana. The Benfica magician then goes one-on-one with Dormerg. And Shalana fakes. First, he cuts back to his left, then cuts to his right, back to his left, and delivers a a beautiful cross, looping up over everyone's head. Jordan is standing at the far post, and he powerfully volleys it. And it sounded like this as it went into the goal. And it, unbelievably, Portugal going ahead here in the 98th minute. Have a listen. Shockwaves throughout the entire stadium, throughout the millions watching at home on television, as this would be a huge television crowd, and shockwaves through all of the French, I think, society. Rui Jordão doubles his tally. Both assists to Shalana. Portugal ahead in the Euro 84 semifinal against the host. 2-1 on the 98th minute. Just 7 minutes from the interval of the extra time. But Portugal have been the better of the two sides since they they went, at, they went level, I do have to say. After going even... Um, this surprising Portugal do actually deserve the lead, in my opinion, because they were the ones they they were doing enough at this point, and they're rewarded here with this highlight reel of a goal, a volley from Rui Jordão from a looping cross from Fernando Chilana. But no time to celebrate. Immediately, the French crowd responds well, and they get vocal, and they get supportive, and they try to restart the French team. In the 100th minute, Bento collides with six, a step outside the penalty area. The Portuguese goalkeeper intelligently slides out feet first and wins the ball, and in the follow-through, rocks the French striker all in one move. And that would be it for Didier Six, as he would be subbed off. On comes Bruno Bologna. Frasco is off the pitch also with his shoe off, receiving some sort of treatment. Remember, Portugal are out of substitutes, so they're going to have to work quickly to get him back on because Portugal are going to play with 10 men temporarily. And in the 104th minute, Tigana is in the center. He plays through to Batistan. Batistan, who gets tripped up, free kick to France. And Platini takes the ensuing free kick. But Bentu gets a touch on it to put it out for another corner. Another save from Manuel Bentu. The corner uh, would follow, and it was cleared by Lima Pereira who finds Shalana in space down the right center channel, and he plays a weighted pass right on to the run of Nene. Nene is one-on-one with Bats with the chance to put the match out of reach. But the French goalkeeper keys in, and he keeps his team in the match with a crucial, crucial save. Seconds later, the referee would blow his whistle. Halftime of the extra time, and the two teams switch ends. Very little time to waste. You can see the fatigue in in the Portuguese team, particularly as they're trying to get water and the referee is telling them to get on with it. 
as there's no halftime. He's saying the way that this was done in the old days, you literally switch ends and you get going again. Platini gets us started virtually right away, like I said, in the second half of extra time. Portugal so close now from their first ever major final, and that is at any level. Remember, this is still five years before Portugal's triumph in their first U-20 World Cup championship, which was the first trophy Portugal won at the international level at at any uh, age group. But here at the senior level, Portugal then yet to have reached a major final and didn't have any of those youth triumphs yet to to speak of either. So this was huge. The entire country had to be sitting on the edge of their seat, biting their nails, holding firm, hoping and hoping that this team somehow hangs on and manages to get to the final. And in the 106th minute, it is it is Tigana spraying the ball wide to Batistan. He gives it a whack from distance but misses wide to Bentu's right post. 108th minute. Platini goes down in the area. Lima Pareto with his arms up pleading that he didn't touch him. Referee Bergamo says play on. Funny I wrote here is that the commentator upon the upon watching this replay so they show the replay on the screen and the commentator without losing a beat without blinking and i says there's nothing there uh obviously not a penalty kick but i watch it with 2021 eyes and i i would bet any amount of money you want that in the modern uh, game, this exact play, under the eyes of VAR, this would have been ruled a penalty kick. Funny how it has changed um, so drastically now uh, once VAR was introduced in what is and what isn't a penalty kick because the thought of this even being close to being a penalty kick absolutely disgusted this English commentator. But if it were today, it would have been much, much different. And... Uh, in the 110th, it's Fernandez now. He's trying his luck for France, but it's just over the bar. Ten minutes to go. Portugal with a goal kick. France are digging deep, though. They're mustering a a much-needed uh, energy boot. They're using as much energy as they possibly can, recognizing the urgency of the situation. Their tanks have to be close to empty, just like Portugal's. But France finding an extra gear as they are desperate. They're losing. They're at home. And there's 10 minutes to go. Portugal just trying to hang on for dear life here. And it's from here forward. It is just wave after wave of French attacks. Incredible pressure being applied by Les Bleus on the Patricius, as they were called in in this tournament by their fans. 114th. Minute France with a throw in deep in Portugal's end down the right side. It's Bosses with the throw to Jerese. Have a listen here. Uh, let John Motson break it down. Jerese. Alain Jerese with a great chance for France. It was blocked. Matisson. Gomez. Played in again. It was a chance here for Platini. So after all the rustle and tussle, after all of the loose balls and the and the 
the desperate attempts to to sh- block the shot. Eventually, the ball falls to Jean Francois Domergue, and he levels the match at two. Just six minutes from full time. Portugal, six minutes from the final. Hard to believe. I can only imagine, as I've been saying, what it must have been like to watch it that night. And in the hundred and fifteenth, the commentator. So you, what you heard there must have was an edited version, I think, of the commentary. If you watch the match on Footballia, I don't believe the commentator is John Motson. The highlights I pulled from YouTube have John Motson on the commentary. That's because John Motson did the highlights for for the BBC every night. This, Like I said, this tournament was largely ignored by the British media. There were no live matches. The final was shown in tape delay. That was the only full match shown. But every but at night there were highlight packages and John Monson would do them and I believe that's the audio you heard there. But the commentator you heard if you're watching uh, on Footballia, he had originally attributed the goal to Bellerone, uh, but um, well he he'll talk about it later as the show as the as the match goes off the air. We'll get some insight into into that, but. France wastes no time getting right back at it. It looks like France does not want to go to penalty kicks. They're looking for a winner. 117th minute now. A combination of Portugal's fatigue and France's superior quality have Portugal pinned back in their end, but they do manage to finally get a clearance and a counter. A rare chance to get forward now as it is Jourdain finding the fuel reserves to carry the ball some 50 meters into the attacking third, but without any real support, France quickly recruit, recoup and they come back the other way, attacking once again. Tigana alone on the right flank. He attempts a cross that Bentu co- reacts to, comes out, and he comes out right around to the penalty spot to collect it, except that. Tigana will miss hit this cross, so he's going down the right and he's trying to make a, an early cross. Bentu reads it and anticipates and would have been there first, except that Tigana miss hits it and now his miss hit is going directly into the goal. And once again, the amazing athleticism of this goalkeeper, Manuel Bentu, to get his body back and to fly literally into the net and extend his hands out onto the goal line and to just... Keep that ball from crossing the goal line. He saves the goal and he keeps Portugal's hopes and dreams alive here. We're three minutes from time. The the French players raise their arms in desperation, hoping the referee will rule in their way and give a goal. But the referee says no, they play on. Amazing stuff. This was this it's 37 years later. I knew the final result, and I was still just mesmerized by the suspense and by the drama of the end of this match. In the 118th minute, Shalana's pass cut out by Batistion. Uh, Shalana's tired legs could could have contributed to his pass um, that was intended for Alvaro, who was inexplicably making an overlapping run in the attacking third, 80 meters from his own goal with two minutes to go in a tie match, in a in a level match and Shalana's tired legs unfortunately the pass comes up short and it is won by France 
And it is Batistion. He's squaring it to Fernandez. And Luis Fernandez starts running at pace, dribbling out of danger. And into the middle third towards the attacking third. Portugal players trying as much as they can to run with them. You can see they're gassed. Uh, he carries it towards the penalty area, finds Tigana. Tigana gets through with only João Pinto to beat. And the Porto defender does a good enough job to force Tigana wide, taking away his shooting angle. But the French midfielder intelligently just cuts the ball back, squares it towards the goal mouth, towards the front of goal, out of the reach of Bento, of course. Platini is running in to he's running into the goal mouth for the tap-in. And Yuriku tries desperately to change his direction that he's running and tries to step to Platini, but he slips as he tries to do that. And Platini alone in front of an open goal. And he makes no mistake. Tigana through to his right and Platini through the middle. Tigana again. Tigana! Tigana! And just like that, on the final kick of the game, Michel Platini breaks Portugal's heart. Six minutes from the final, and to lose in that manner, to give up four goals... In the final six minutes, absolute heartbreak. I can only imagine the the deep di- disappointing might not even be the world. I mean, I I can I can put myself as a as a supporter or as a fan, and I can relate it to Portugal. You know, in in other tournaments. In my lifetime, um, not that this wasn't in my lifetime, but I was one year old in 84. But later, and ironically, another match with France. Um, I remember the feeling of how that one ended and just a feeling of, of disgust in a way that I thought I was going to throw up. It was it was like the wind was just sucked completely out of me when with the the golden goal in that day in 2000 but here in 84 essentially a golden goal as well from Platini and Portugal knew the moment that went in that they were going to lose and that was going to be it after that massive heroic effort especially from the second half forward um Portugal really really had this one had to sting i can only imagine how fans and how players felt after this one we see the Portuguese players exiting the pitch um, and we we hear the co- what's funny here is as Portugal is exiting you know and they look emotional some of them very emotional others less we hear the commentator pick up a phone this is funny I think the actual broadcast must have been off the air but the tape was still rolling for wherever this, whatever archives this video came from. And you hear the commentator, and this is not John Motson. You heard John Motson there on the call of the goal. That is a different call. The feed that we watched on Footballia has a different commentator. And you hear him on the phone saying, Connect me to London. L- uh, London, can you talk to me, please? 
as he's eventually you hear him talking to a producer and then out of his out of his mouth comes sorry for the second goal mate we just so fucking far away the goal <laughs> Pete's a bit upset with me or something along those lines um apologize for that horrible british accent but and for the language as well that's not language i normally use but you heard him say it and it looks like he this is when he gave the goal to the wrong player the 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 equalizing goal there an extra time when uh, when um he gave it to belome instead of to to domoreg who was the goal scorer and he realized it after, and that, and he's apologizing with one of his producers. The producer says something along the lines, eh, it happens. He goes, ah. He goes, well, Pete's a bit upset. <laughs> so um, whoever this commentator was, he he um, he provided some good entertainment after. Uh, apparently, he didn't hit the mute button. But that's, that's neither here nor there. And, um, you know, a- as that... As that goes off, you see the credits start to roll. And I noticed that the post-match um, is notably much, much more bare bones in 1984 than these days. I mean, you see some shots of the crowd celebrating. Some of the players stayed on the pitch for a second. But um, no music playing in the stadium. It's just bizarre to look at with 2021 eyes. And that's why I like doing this so much. I like watching these games. Again, like I've said, I'm hoping that by Euro 96 that the clock is on the screen uh, for the for the entirety of the match so that I don't have to wear a wristwatch and keep it running while watching uh, these matches. But I'm not going to be holding my breath on that. That's another starking difference when you watch a match from 1984. You see, obviously, the styles and the uniforms, the haircuts, the much more basic advertisement boards. But you see the very early, early version of the game we love today, the very early version of the modern game. And we get, you know, if we were neutrals, we would I think we would have been delighted with this match. Um, you heard at the end of the goal call John Motson saying that I haven't seen a match like this in years or something along those along those lines uh i can i can say that as a as a neutral now or then that i would have absolutely loved this match and i probably if i was smart enough to record it i don't even know if you had recording possibilities in 1984 but if it was a match you know if this match had been played say in 2010 2014 whatever um, and I had watched it. I would have definitely DVR'd it and never deleted it because this, if as especially as a neutral, there's just there's the roller coaster of emotions. France is ahead. Portugal draws even. We go to extra time. Oh my goodness! Portugal is ahead. France are gonna lose at home, and then France pull level. It's delirium. And before you can even settle down, France will win it at the death. The home team in front of the home fans. Um, but this was a performance, in my opinion, Portugal should be and I believe was a very very proud of and no doubt this was Portugal's best match of the four at this championship ironically the only one that they lost but they did not lose it in full in 90 minutes remember so Portugal exit the tournament without being beat in 90 minutes can't ask for more after watching these four matches I do think that in my opinion Portugal were fortunate to advance I thought their prof- their performances particularly in the third game was not up to par 
Um, they were fortunate to advance, but they made the most of this trip to the semifinal. And regardless of the fact that France was stronger and playing better, Portugal were six minutes from the final. And had Portugal advanced, I did notice I gave some thought on a parallel universe perhaps where Portugal advances. Had they advanced, it would have been really, really interesting to see how this disaster of a coaching setup would have selected the two central defenders to replace the two starting ones. I noted here that Portugal has central defender Eduardo Luiz on the roster, but would have would have to have converted an additional player, presumably a fullback or a midfielder, into a center half to play next to Eduardo Luiz in that final, no less. Not just in any match, but in a final Denmark and Spain would play the next night with Spain winning on penalties after a 1-1 draw. So Spain and, and France is the final. But it's important to remember this tournament, like I said, is before any golden generation. As I noted earlier, Portugal's youth World Cup titles, the first of them was still five years away. The team entered the tournament with little to no ex- entered. Excuse me. The team entered the tournament with little to no expectation, but showed the world just how difficult it they it would be to beat them. They were very very difficult to be beat, and um, it's sad. I uh, I should say it's sad that the group didn't have any uh, uh, previous success. This group that is this national team, they had no previous successes. It needs to be said. And unfortunately, I think many will agree that they underperformed um, as the rest of the decade would turn into a nightmare for Portuguese football. Yes, there would be qualification for Mexico 86, but if you don't know about the debacle that was Portugal at Mexico 86, I'm pretty sure I will do a podcast on it at some point. No doubt there'll be an episode or multiple episodes dedicated to that World Cup. If you thought this was a dysfunctional uh, a dysfunctional setup in '84. It only gets better in '86, and it would Portugal won't return to the finals of the Euro until football returns home in 1996, and Portugal returns to England 20 years after the magic of Ozebu. Portugal returns to the scene of that crime and tries to to do the impossible. Comes in. They'll go into that tournament similar to how this group of players went into this 84 tournament with limited expectation, but hopes that they can they can show their true value and show that they are just as good as anybody in Europe. Um, much of the problems of the Portuguese football in the, the second half of the 80s are on the national team front, an absolute uh, black hole that no one wants to talk about. But a lot of the problems stem from the ineptitude of the federation. I've hit on this here. I've hit on this at Mr. Portugal, Mr. Benfica podcast. I've even hit on it when I talk about the 1983 and 1984 seasons. It's just the an absolute disaster that the federation was at this time. And... Um, 
and you could see that this was a ticking time bomb that would finally explode at Mexico in 86. And like I said, that's a topic for its own podcast. I'm sure I'll get to it someday. The self-destruction of Mexico 86, like I said, sets Portugal back a decade easily uh, after that. And unfortunately, uh, Portugal will miss Euro 88 and 92. And, um, well, Portugal would disappoint a lot still. And today's today's fans, Portugal fans today, if you were born, you know, before 1990 maybe, if you were born, uh, if you didn't experience the 90s as a Portugal fan, you don't know how spoiled you are because from the year 2000 forward, it, Portugal was on a different level than they were before. And part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was to, to to point that out. And we saw here a very primitive version of a national team. Um, but Portugal surviving on, on hard work ethic and solid um, technical and tactical ability did themselves proud here in Euro 84 despite not never having been to a final stage of the Euro. And like I said, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Euro 96 now. But in between now and then, there's some bonus episodes, all right? So there will be a bonus episode dropping, okay? Probably, it's probably out right now, actually. My hope is to release it at the same time as this episode. Or perhaps we'll do it on Friday, one day later, to give everyone time to to catch this episode. But there'll be a bonus after, which will fill in the gap between... June of 1984 and June of 1996. We'll talk about, um, in one episode, we're going to talk about the, f- one bonus episode, I should say, we'll talk about the failed, um, the failed journeys of what was qualifying for Euro 88 and Euro 92. And I think it can fit in one podcast. In the actually, no, we really can't. And then in another bonus episode, uh, we'll, we'll look at the qualification, okay, for Euro 96 and one week from tonight another throwback Thursday and we will have the debut of Euro 96 okay Portugal once again will open a major tournament against the world champions so Portugal always seems to face I shouldn't say world champions defending champions Portugal always seems to face defending champions in Mex- in England World Cup 66 they're placed in the same group as three-time champion Brazil, or back-to-back champion, I should say, Brazil. In 1984 here, they start off right off the bat with defending European and reigning World Cup runner-up West Germany. Take 12 years off, Portugal return to the Euro in 1996. They open Euro 96 against, guess who? Defending champion Denmark. If you want to keep playing this game, you can go to 2000 where Portugal will have Euro 96 champion Germany in their group. It'll be till 20 it'll be till 2004 that Portugal's group does not feature the the defending champion. But that's all uh that's all substance and content for another day. That's going to do it here in 1984. We're going to turn this time machine on, and we're going to go back home to 2021 for the time being. But next week, again, don't miss another Throwback Thursday here on the PTV Media Network with me, the Mr. Mike Agustinio, and we'll be going to 19, 
96. Euro 96 in England. Portugal are back on the international stage. That's next week. Have a great week, everybody. Happy New Year again. And on the way out here is, of course, some music. You heard this this song in the last episode, and I'm going to send you home with it. We're going to say goodbye to 1984 with Portugal's Eurovision Song Festival 1984. Entrant, here is Maria Guino. Goodbye, 1984. Goodbye, PTB Nation. We'll see you next week in 1996. <laughs> Uma pedra é um grito que nasce em qualquer lugar Às vezes é no meio de tanta gente Que descubro afinal para onde vou E esta pedra e este grito são a história Daquilo que eu sou Às vezes sou o tempo que é tarde em passar E aquilo em que ninguém quer Tanta gente que descura final para onde vou E esta pedra e este grito são a história Daquilo que eu sou Às vezes sou o tempo que tarde em passar E aquilo em que ninguém quer Troco a minha vida 